Welcome back to the Super Sapiens podcast, where we explore Super Sapiens metrics, the app features and experience, and how Super Sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution. Homo Sapiens, meet Super Sapiens. When I was eating chews, I could see on my Wahoo, like there wasn't a massive change. When I was taking my carb drink, like it would really go up. Um, so yeah, that kind of made me think, okay, I'm responding a lot better to liquids, started using more liquids in my 70.3s. And again, I, I just feel better off it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this episode of the Super Sapiens podcast. Our guest today is the amazing, the incredible, what a season she has had, professional triathlete Emma Pallant-Brown. We'll get to Emma in a second. I'm your host, Zylan Fnake. With me is my co-host, David Lipman. David is the Director of Applied Science and Content at Super Sapiens. David, how are you today, my friend? Very well, thank you. Very, very well. I'm feeling good, feeling energized, keen to keen to rip in. That is good to hear because we are recording this mere days out from you taking on the Berlin Marathon. Your marathon PB, remind me, 248? 248.14. I looked it up the other day for you uh, after you gave me some, some hell because I didn't know the exact seconds. <laughs> 248.18 and that's what you're looking to break at Berlin. Um, training been going well. What's the pacing strategy? What's the nutritional strategy? Can you give us some insight into that? Yep. So training has been going pretty well. Moved to London. So had to adjust some uh, runs that were otherwise going to be based on pace to more feel and heart rate. Uh, but that's all right. That was good. They went pretty well. Um, my watch tells me I'm running well for whatever that's worth. Um, but no, the fueling strategy will be the same as uh, um, previous two marathons, Rotterdam and Boston. So uh, a gel every 20 minutes starting at 10 minutes. So 10, 30, 50 um, that 50 and the 70 will be caffeinated. And then, as I said, the 70, then 90, um, and then 100, what is it, like 110? So just before uh, two hours, and then I'll do two more. So I'll do eight total every 20 minutes on the 10, the 30, and the 50. Um, days prior, carbohydrate loading, uh, we are recording on Thursday. I will probably start on, yeah, tomorrow. I'll start eating quite a bit more, um, looking towards... Yeah, 800, maybe a bit more grams of carbohydrates in a day, which uh, as we discussed on an episode that will come up soon is is a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that with some upcoming episodes. Practically, practically as a bowl of food, a bowl of pasta, a bowl of rice, what are we talking here? What does it uh, look like? Oh, I, I can't remember this now after that episode, but I think, yeah, a kilogram of pasta is something like 250 grams of uh, carbohydrates, so whatever you want to take from that. Let's let's say three kilograms of pasta in a day. Um, so it won't be that, oh, that's about that. Oh, scary days coming up for you. Yeah, um, we also have a We also have a couple of ambassadors who will be running uh, Berlin Marathon. And sorry to break it to you, David, they will be faster than you, but who will be joining you on the, on the start line there? Yeah, so Freddie Ovette is looking to break two hours 20, I believe, or two hours 30, I believe. Uh, which is quick, especially given he runs less than I do, uh, although he is a professional cyclist and has a very good running. Yeah, he's pedigree. a professional cyclist. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's running. That's incredible, yeah. man. I mean, he, has, he he held a running scholarship in college and uh, you know, his dad is Steve Ovette, one of the greatest uh, runners uh, of you know, in, in history. So uh, maybe not 
you know, a very great runner, maybe not the greatest. Don't send me any hate mail, please. Um, and then uh, Steve Scullion, who is a very quick marathoner. Um, so we'll see. I'm interested to see how those two boys go. I think they're going to have good days. They've had good blocks and, and you know, they're very good runners. So um, hoping they go well. And what about you, mate? You've been training. Talk to me. What's going on? How are you? Yeah, I've been. Uh, we mentioned on the podcast a couple of episodes ago that there's a chance that I might be doing Ironman Kona in Hawaii, the World Championships. That has now been confirmed. Uh, I got a, a a special entry with like a month to go. So no, uh, there's no. You know, you need in life you need stories to tell. So training for an Ironman in four weeks out. Uh, okay, I'm being facetious. You know, I generally tick over and generally have a level of fitness, and obviously not Ironman full Ironman fitness all the time so I just had to up my general level of fitness it's going to be interesting to see how it goes what the experience is like Um, I'm looking forward to it I must say the swim has been very daunting to me I did a couple of swims in the lake in Banyoles in Spain training over there to overcome my fear of swimming without a wetsuit the buoyancy of the wetsuit has definitely become a comfort blanket to me and I the first few swims in the lake was terrifying without a wetsuit and had a few panic attacks, but I've gone back every single day, not giving up, you know, overcoming that, trying to overcome it and push through that barrier. So off to Kona early next week, going to hit the ocean as soon as I get there, try to get comfortable in the water every single day. And then I know when I come out of the water, that's when the race starts for me. So amazing opportunity that Super Sapiens is giving me to do Ironman Kona and uh, absolutely looking forward to that, man. I'm stoked to, to watch you have a go. I'm excited to see how the reverse taper works for you, cramming all your training into the last month. So <laughs> let's let's see how we go. But uh, I'm also excited to watch you Pac-Man people from the uh, the back of the from the from the finish of the swim. You're gonna start Pac-Maning people. So well, very keen. My goal my goal is to not finish last in my age group. So if I can finish second last or third last, and we we recorded an episode with Andy Blow, the CEO of Precision. Um, hydration, fuel and hydration that will be coming out soon after this one. And he gave some very good tips in terms of how to pace, how to go in the heat. And he's inspired me, you know, to not finish last in my age groups. <laughs> that'll be yeah. that'll be the goal for me. Yeah. Um, we, we always ask for your feedback on, on this podcast. What you want to hear, send us in some questions. And, you know, who would you like us to host on the podcast? You can do that by emailing david at supersapiens.com. David, we got an email in from a listener, Borden Stepchuk. We've talked to him before. Yeah, I mean, this might be my happiest moment in all of podcasting. Is he's changed from team under to team over. It only took him five senses, but now he is on the right side. So congratulations and welcome. Uh, we don't judge over here that you've taken so long to join us, just that you used to be an underscanner. Yeah, scanning the sensor over. We team over all day long. Um, before we get to Emma Pallant Brown, uh, we got an email in here from Liz Rice, which I'm going to leave you to um, answer as the smart one. She says, Hi, David. Thanks for the podcast. I've been using Super Sapiens for a few months, and it has definitely helped me to get my glucose curve somewhat under control. When I first started, I saw lots of wild swings related to food, but diet changes have helped me uh, get the curve less erratic, which in turn has helped me to lose a bit of excessive weight. However, I'd be interested if you could discuss the rush phenomenon. It's almost impossible for me to eat any carbs without getting at least a small rush and also see them during and especially after most running and cycling sessions. Quite often, they are not big rushes, leaving me well within the recovery of performance 
Roman zones. Could you please talk about why some people might be more prone to rushes and whether they are something to be concerned about? That's from Liz Rice. So there's a lot in that. I'll do my best to answer as best as I can. Um, so the rush feature that we uh, built is effectively looking at steep, you know, what we think is a steep swing in glucose and, and look, it's arbitrary. It's at least 10 milligrams per deciliter over at least five minutes. Um, so yeah, that is what it is. Um, so not all of them are the same, of course. A rush that's bigger, uh, that takes longer is different. A rush that goes out of the, you know, well above 140 or hits 200 is very different to one that's, you know, from 100 to 120. So I think, you know, particularly if you're 180, somewhere there and you rush 20 milligrams per deciliter, I don't think that's a huge thing, particularly if you're not having a rebound as a result. So if you don't end up going low afterwards, if you sort of go up a bit and then come back down to normal, I think that's very normal. You're never going to have a flat glucose trace. It's not possible. If you do, you're probably, you know, it's kind of like a heart rate, heartbeat. It's never going to be flat. And if, if it is flat, it's probably a problem. So it's never going to be completely flat. Um, and it's important to, you know, probably Liz's approach is great. It's like, Hey, I was a bit, you know, erratic to start with. I've stabilized it a little bit, you know, where am I at now? And I think the answer is probably pretty good now. Um, you're never going to be flat. It's not, it doesn't pay you to be obsessive about this. Um, you know, health is, uh, a holistic thing and, and not stressing about every little piece of food we eat and, and put in our bodies part of that. So that's the caveat I would give there in terms of why some people might rush pretty regularly, because we definitely have some people at the company, you know, we previously spoke to Fede Fontana and uh, you know, Fede rushes a lot, but it's got very spiky glucose. Uh, you know, so there is definitely this concept of glucotype, which is kind of like a fingerprint of your glucose. So yes, you can, there are some universal truths between people, um, but there is some individuality. And so, you know, for instance, a Coke will spike everybody or will rush everybody, but the degree in which that happens and the shape of that curve is different between different people. And this is the concept of what we call a glucotype. So there are certain glucotypes that are more reactive than others that will have more spiky glucose than others. Um, so Liz may be part of that. Uh, there are you know, some that are more controlled than others, and that's just the way it is. And there's probably there's genetic components to this. You know, there's a gene in the mouth called the AMI1 gene, which codes for amylase, which is what, what helps start digesting starches in the mouth. This is different between people and that will change your glucose response. There are you know, differences all the way down the digestive tract. There's differences in microbiomes. All these things can affect it. So um, what I'd say, and in women, to some extent, the menstrual cycle probably plays a bit of a role as well, like what phase of the menstrual cycle you're in for some people. So I guess the take-home message is not all rushes are terrible. And particularly if you're rushing post-workout, we've got a good article on this um, in our rush article. And probably post-workout rushes are, are not a problem at all, especially if you can really trigger some insulin because it probably helps you recover. Um, so I wouldn't be too worried about it. Uh, it sounds like Liz has taken appropriate action and, and sort of stabilized things a little bit and is now just trying to dial in the last little percent because we're in, you know, probably all a little bit this way, right? This is why we use super sapiens. We want to be perfect. Um, and so probably take the take-home message is there is no perfect. Um, she's doing a great job and, and, and continue. In terms of the exercise versus non-exercise, rushes during exercise are very different uh, because the physiology is very different. So yeah, we've had many conversations around the rush feature during exercise and how that needs to look going forward. Um, I won't say too much about it, but suffice to say, I'm much less concerned about rushes during exercise in terms of even noting them. I do note them. I do tag them as exercise or movement, but yeah, the significance of that is very different. Uh, again, as long as you don't go low afterwards, um, I'm not too worried about them. You will see them from, you know, the same thing, stress changes in activity levels. If you sprint up a hill, 
perhaps, or if you, you know, maybe take a gel. So um, I do try and limit them a little bit during exercise from nutrition and try and keep a bit more stable. But yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot to take away from that. Cool. Thank you for that. Very good insight, Joe. And I, I, I love that there's no perfect, but I love the process of working towards perfection. And that in that I think lies us achieving our potential as human beings and as athletes. So yeah, thank you, Liz. Thanks for that question. If you have a question, David, you would like David to answer, please email David at supersapiens.com. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. It was another good one talking to this fantastic lady that has had an incredible season. We dive into some of the hardships she's gone through, how she went back to the drawing board, what she changed, and how she came out on the other side to win multiple Ironman 70.3s this year. So enjoy this episode with Emma Pallant-Brown. Today we're talking to Emma Pallant-Brown. Emma is a two-time world duathlon champion, world duathlon champion, silver medalist at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. She's the current Ironman 70.3 European champion, which she won in Denmark in fine form. And this year alone, she's won Ironman 73s in ZLMC, Mallorca and Challenge Riccioni. Over the past six years, though, she's won countless Challenge and Ironman middle distance races. Emma, welcome to the Super Sapiens podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This year, I mean, this has been hard research because we've, David and I have sort of been keeping a tally of your wins this year. Every weekend we've been messaging and mostly keeping tabs on your run. Oh, she ran this, she ran that, she, she ran that to win. And it's been fun, actually. We, you, if you had to search our WhatsApp group, your name would probably come up a bunch of times. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> That's good to know. No, it's been fun running them. Why don't we get started at the start then? So how did, uh, how did you start in sport? When, where did your sporting journey start? Um, so I think from a really young age, um, I was kind of one of those very active kids that, um, yeah, every sports club there was at school I wanted to be a part of. And, um, yeah, my mum's just awesome. She used to, there's three of us in the family and, um, she used to ferry me, my brother and my sister to whatever we wanted to do and just kind of encouraged us to participate in everything and and see what we enjoyed so um yeah i think she also found out that i i was better behaved and concentrated better at school if i'd gone swimming in the morning before or gone running or done something and where was home for you was that in in surrey in the uk is that correct yeah yeah so um just south of london uh in surrey in a little town called farnham um that most people know as near guildford that's always the way, isn't it? When it's a small place, it's what's it closest to? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's easier to say where I where I then moved to uh, after uni and everything. I was uh, in Twickenham and any rugby fan knows where that is. What did you do at uni? Uh, I studied physiotherapy. Um, so yeah, my mum's a doctor and I really wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up. But um I always fainted at the sight of blood, so she had to break the news to me that it probably wasn't going to be the career for me. Um, and that, yeah, physiotherapy was still kind of working with the body um, and getting people better and fixed, um, but with less blood involved and more sports. So it kind of appealed to me. Emma, so I want to get into um, the season you've had so far, but 
are you currently back in South Africa? Is just a, a training block for you now? Because following you the last three, four months, it looks like you've just been going back to back to back races. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the racing isn't as tiring as the travel. I think um, I've kind of been coming home a lot in between as well. And you race. So I think I did eight races in four months and um, traveling back and forth to um, South Africa and racing in Europe and racing in America. It kind of catches up with you. And the, the last two races I did, I definitely felt a little bit tired. And I feel as well, it's hard to keep your training like there's only so much training you can do between races. So um, before World Champs, we definitely decided I need to now stick in one place for six, seven weeks and get some good, hard kind of training. So, yeah, this is a big training block I'm in at the moment. And how do you decide on race frequency and which races to do? Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I think kind of we we put um, kind of A races in um, prior to the season. And then, um, again, traveling from South Africa, it's quite a long way. So I kind of like to back them up. Um, double race weekends, I think, work quite well for me. Um, so I'll find a couple of kind of key races and then maybe stick kind of a B race um, into that same trip. Um, and yeah, that's kind of started to form my season. But then with one big focus on the World 70.3 champs. I think for amateurs listening to this, it would be interesting to know how you decide what an A race is. Like literally as a pro, how do you choose? Is it the prestige of the race? Is it the prize money? Is it the field? How do you decide that? Yeah, so I think they they often come hand in hand. So um, a, a kind of a title race with um, good prize money will attract like a strong field. So for this year, looking early season, it was a challenge championship race and the European champs. Um, they were two kind of earlier season races quite nicely away from the Worlds and both based in Europe um, because, yeah, it's a little bit easier to travel. The travel to America is a little bit tougher. Um, but then there was a PTO race, again, really big prize money. So we knew there'd be a really good field um, in Canada. So that was kind of putting aside a longer trip for that. Um, and yeah, I only did one race there, did, decided not to stay over there. And it sounds like your aim is to race the best in the world, which sounds like a silly question, but for some people, you know, there might be, it might be about winning for fathers. It's about other things. It's money or it's whatever. So where is that? Where does that hit for you? Is it about racing the best? Is it about testing yourself or is it about something else? Yeah, I think um, you always get the best out of yourself um, when you're pushed on by the best and in the biggest competitions. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, I like to see as well where I am up against the best kind of prior to a championship. And um, like you say, if you can hunt down where those big quality fields are, you're going to get really honest answers and know almost what to improve on in, in the block that I'm in now. Um, you might be tired about talking about this, so you don't have to if you don't want to. But what happened in Miami with a bit of heat stroke when you ended up in, in hospital earlier this year? Yeah, so... Um... I'm kind of, yeah, hot conditions um, I can kind of do and I, I am a really heavy sweater, um, but the humidity is kind of the killer for me um, and we're still trying to figure it out, um, like ways that I can race better in the humidity, um, but yeah, that was kind of a middle of the day race and I think as well, I kind of 
didn't I thought okay it's a shorter format it's shorter than 17.3 so it's almost a nice step up to testing my body in a shorter distance in the humidity and if that goes well then I can get more confidence to do the bigger races like Dallas in the humidity um, that's a bit longer not factoring in the fact that if you're racing a bit shorter you're racing that much harder and your heart rate's going that much higher and yeah I just blew myself to pieces I kind of it was it was really early on in the race actually it was about the fifth sixth lap um it was also a bit of a yo-yo course you kind of had a technical bend then a really hard straight then a technical bend then a really hard straight so you're doing those intervals that's generating heat in your body um you haven't got that nice level heart rate that maybe in some other 70.3 races you might have and yeah I think my just um body heat got a little bit out of control and um I knew I was in trouble on the bike, but I thought I could maybe get away with finishing the race. But um, yeah, I just saw stars stars on the run and um, blacked out. Wow. Sorry to hear that. That's uh, that's pretty horrible. Um, that speaks to a bit of a, a thing, though, talking about race distances. Obviously, your entry to the sport uh, wasn't necessarily, um, I guess, call it conventional, come more from a sort of run background, aquathlon, duathlon. How are you thinking about your triathlon career? Is it, is moving to, you know, uh, I guess 140.6, for, for lack of a better term, up to full Ironman distance, is that something you want to do or are you keen to stay in the 70.3 given your success? Yeah, it's something that I kind of, I feel like I definitely – I, I've had some awesome seasons in the 70.3, but I still I'm missing getting back onto that uh, 70.3 World Champs podium. Um, and that's something that I don't think, um, just with the level of the fields at the moment, I'm not sure it's as easy doing if you stick a few Ironmans into the season. So at the moment, that's very much, I'm not going to ever say never to uh, Ironman, but at the moment, I very much uh, want to get it back on that um, 70.3 kind of world podium. And and just, yeah, I think just, I still feel I have a bit more in me um, at nailing the 70.3 and um, want to keep improving my, my swim and kind of make that next pack up, which I think will really help change my racing around. So yeah, I'm not going to ever say never, but at the moment, 70.3 is definitely the um, the biggest goal. I will say this. You are a great full Ironman supporter because I did Ironman South Africa earlier this year and you guys had the best support crew on the run course, man. I looked forward to running past you guys because <laughs> it just gave you that extra 5%. Oh. Yeah, I feel like I did an Ironman that day. It's exhausting, hey? Like, um, yeah, I think then you appreciate how long guys are out there for because if you're having a street party the whole time it's on, you're like, sure, okay. I have to eat properly, I have to drink properly because this is a long day. Um, yeah, we kept the energy going. That's awesome. uh, that was amazing, man. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Collins Cup. We were very surprised to see you being left out of the Collins Cup earlier. We spoke about what you've achieved so far this year. That was a surprise. But afterwards, you spoke about how it's sort of, I don't know, reframed your mindset, taught you to create your own opportunities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I think um, we're very much, again, you, you're saying about hunting the the big races and um, for the Collins Cup, we obviously knew that the four, because because there was a long distance world in there, 
Um, the top four girls kind of there with their long distance points were never going to be overtaken in Europe. So it was always going to come down to um, a wild card for kind of more half distance athletes. So we decided that to chase that kind of, we had to get our points up and, and get some um, wins in the big races early on. Um, and yeah, we did everything that we could kind of to put myself up there in the rankings. I think I was fifth European and ninth overall. Um, but yeah, the captains obviously decided not to pick me. And I think it's, it's just being adaptable and knowing, okay, you, you did what you could. You can't look back and say, oh, maybe I should have gone to this race. Maybe I should have committed in this way. Like you did the best in the season. So um, as long as you're controlling what you can control, then it's like saying, okay, well, I'm obviously not doing that race. So what other races are there? And for me, that was the um, long distance world champs and tying that into racing Austria 70.3 the weekend after. So I still got a really good kind of back-to-back two weekends of racing and um yeah I don't think you can no one's gonna feel sorry for you you just can't let your head get down you just gotta move on and think okay what is there there must be a reason for this and and let's make the most of it I love that I love that mentality um on that you know post missing out there was some comments from some peers and some other triathletes uh in, in support of you, people saying they were quite surprised you didn't get picked. And, and you know, some of them were some of your key competitors, people like Ellie Salthouse, uh, Laura Siddle, um, you know, Jocelyn McCauley, and probably most noticeably uh, Lucy Charles Barkley. So I guess how does it make you feel that some of your competitors are in support of you there? It must be like that's super foreign to me that such, you know, professional competitors are so supportive of each other. I think it's really cool. Yeah, and I think it's really awesome. I think you kind of worry when a sport like PTO comes along and suddenly there's a lot more on the line and, and you can actually make a living now and there's good prizing kind of up for grabs. You worry that is it going to turn the sport nasty? And that's something I've always loved about triathlon. You really have a supportive kind of group of people. You're very similar. It's not an easy sport. you got to do it for the love of it because it's not something that is a kind of quick fix or you're going to get results easily. And so I think that's that big respect and and you spend a lot of time on the road with competitors. And if you go to a race on your own, you're never really on your own because, yeah, there's so many awesome people out there, kind of pros and age groupers alike. And I think that's the really nice thing. I think injecting money into the sport really hasn't changed it. I think there's just so many awesome people out there and you do, you build strong friendships and um, like I said, big respect for your competitors. And I look up to a lot of the girls that I race and yeah, none of them are easy to beat. And that's what you want. You're kind of all pushing each other to new limits. I love what you said there about there's no quick fix in, in, in triathlon because earlier you were saying about Miami, what you learned there and things you hadn't realized, even though you've been a professional for so long. And I, I saw over the weekend of us after us recording, there's Ben Hoffman racing, I think, in Wisconsin and saying there's no excuses. He just made mistakes on the bike. He didn't have enough clothing. It was too, too, to call it, you know, cool down his core and he was just shivering. And, and it baffles my mind, but I get it that after so many years, you are still learning as a professional after winning so many races that triathlon is so humbling because there's so much to focus on the yeah, you're still years later learning so much from from all the different experiences there's no yeah. substitute for it. and and i think like you say there's so many not just so many elements to triathlon there's also so many ways to race it and and 
if you focus on one area and you think, okay, this is going to make the difference to my racing, the next year you could have a totally different field. It could swing back to, okay, you've got more strong bike runners coming through and you've been focusing all winter on your swim. So I think the sport is constantly evolving and, and different people in the sport make it fun for different reasons. And um, yeah, like you say, it's, it's forever changing. So you got to keep on your toes and you're forever learning new things, which is great. And on that, I've heard you talk about, you know, the transition of coaches and you also tweaked your bike position as well at one point. Sounds like, you you know, and there was a bit of a one step forward, to uh, one step back to take two steps forward. Speak to, could you speak to a little bit about how you made those decisions? Because, you know, for most people, once you're already professional, you know, racing at a high level, you know, you were, it's not like all of a sudden you get this inc incremental gain. It was, you know, it's a pretty big step for you to, to decide to do that. How did you make that decision? Yeah, so um, it was actually my husband had formerly been coached by Tim Don, and um, I was very much, yeah, I guess fairly new to data. I hadn't used it a lot, and um, he was kind of saying that Tim could really bring a new element to my racing because he worked a lot more with the data, and especially when you're being coached without the coach being there. So um, like Tim coaches me online, it's really important kind of the feedback and the monitoring and for him to be able to see kind of everything that I'm doing and um, through the through the data that I can give him as well as kind of feedback verbally. Um, so yeah, Jared said as a, as a long distance coach, um, coaching online, he'd be a pretty good person for me. Um, and he wasn't wrong. <laughs> Tim's been, like you said, he's changed a lot in my training um, and brought a bit of the volume down, but really increased the intensity. So when I go hard, it's really hard now. And when I'm going easy, he's trying to make it even easier. So um, again, still kind of adapting to that. But um, the bike position was something that he brought in um, and we we looked a lot at that and um, practiced a lot. I was in the specialized wind tunnel as well. Um, and yeah, it's that balance between what is comfortable so you can still hold it and you can still run quickly off um, as well as being aero. And um, I think to begin with, learning to just ride in my bars and reducing the power. Like you said, it was a frustrating step. You felt like you were going backwards, but then you saw that power come up, up, up in the same position. And then um, going into the wind tunnel and testing at that power, um, how much, uh, so they put the oxygen mask on and um, how efficient I was when we moved the bars up and moved the bars down, um, just to see holding the same power um was my position affecting my economy um it, when we knew about the aerodynamics and um so putting the three of that into play and then getting the best kind of bang for your buck um looking at all three um obviously tim is coaching you remotely and there are challenges with that but like you said he's good at it but it must also be comforting to have someone like jared your husband around who's an ex extra set of eyes he's a coach himself very experienced is that a good is a good thing having jared around your training yeah, yeah, good and bad. So, uh, no, he's very good. Like, for my swim, he'll put on the fat pants and, and he'll give me something to chase down. And um, he's got a good group of guys that I also um, chain with me that really helps. But he does sometimes snitch me out to Tim if I haven't had a gel for my long run or should have had two more, which, yeah, is really annoying. But uh, I guess it's for the best. That's awesome. I uh, 
I've spoken to many athletic couples in different settings and it's always a difficult relationship to manage, be it as a coach and athlete or as just, you know, uh, somebody with knowledge and, and somebody, you know, who's training. So it's cool to hear that that's how that's going. Um, what does a training week look like for you? Um, yeah, so I think that's something that's really differed as well. Um, like if I, if you asked me that three years ago, I could tell you my Monday, Tuesday went like I was routine. I knew exactly what I was doing every day of the week. Um, with Tim, we go through so many phases, um, even in this training block kind of going through at the moment, I'm doing bike mileage. Um, then next week they'll turn into kind of more tempo riding, then it will go intensity. Um, and yeah, the hours of each kind of discipline, um, change for the other one, but I'd say I'm training at least, uh, yeah, at the moment I'm, I'm, I don't have rest days. I, I kind of train at least two or three times a day. Um, but like I said, when my easy is going to be really easy because on the hard will be really hard and, and there might be three really hard sessions in a day and then too easy the the next day. And yeah, I can't guess it with Tim. I, honestly, I couldn't tell you what my next week will be, but it's always keeping me on my toes and keeping it fun, um, which I found hard at the beginning. I loved routine. I loved knowing exactly what every day was like. I can, I'm one of those people that can ride the same loop without getting bored just because, yeah, I know it's my thing. It's my comfort zone. And I think that's why I train really well at home and we decided to do the block for the worlds at home just because I like where knowing all my roots and um, I like having all my stuff here. Um, it's hot, it's altitude, it's dry um, and we've got a lot of wind at the moment. Can I ask you about your easy? I've heard that your easy sessions, you should almost feel guilty at how easy it is. Is, is, is that what you find? Is that what it's like for you? Um. Yeah, I think, I think it's almost, I've learned now with my easy, it's like brain training. It's, it's not just switching off and like low cadence, like boom, boom, or low jogging. It's like, okay, I'm going to feel really within myself so I can hold a conversation with you, but I'm ingraining good habits. So is my footfall correct? Am I light on my feet? Is my breathing good? Is my, it's almost like it's, less strain on the body but it's a bit of a brain exercise because you want all those good habits to automatically kick in when you're switching the mind off because you're so like in that deep dark place in the hurting sessions that you can do it automatically because in all the easy stuff you've been ingraining okay are my arms nice and bent and loose am i pivoting at the shoulder is my hips with my arm flow just think of all those good technique things when you're easy um, and also then it flies by, like, if you're thinking about that as you're running, you're, yeah, you've done half an hour before you even know it. That's such, that's such great advice and something for, for listeners to take away. Um, maybe a couple of, uh, a little bit less serious things at the moment. Um, what's your favorite training session? What does that look like? Um, I think probably a build run on the treadmill. Um, yeah, starting off, like you say, really, really easy, like you're jogging five minutes and you're almost nervous because you know what's going to come on. Um, and then just keeping on ramping it up um, an hour. And, and the idea being with 15 minutes to go, you're kind of starting to really bleed. With 10 minutes, you're wondering if you can finish the session. And with five minutes, you're just hanging on for dear life. Um, yeah, you can get some good tunes on. And uh, I think 
I don't know. It's just an easy suffer fest because it's all controlled and you don't have to think about cars. You don't, it's, it's almost like we just put on the disco lights and have a bit of a rave. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. Sounds like you describe a torture chamber there, man. Yeah. <laughs> Making it sound fun. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea of that session, except for the treadmill. That, uh, that scares <laughs> me. The sound of that thing scares me. What about your least favorite training session? Um, sure. Cause it's fresh in my mind. I'm going to go for one I did yesterday, 2200s in the pool, um, off. Yeah. Tight recovery. Um, yeah. Balls out, just swimming hard, getting five to 10 seconds rest, depending how well you're swimming. Oh, sounds torturous. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the changes you've made this this year, the addition is obviously to uh, using Super Sapiens, glucose, continuous glucose monitoring. I'm interested to hear how you found that. Yeah, so it's kind of that area that, um, again, when Tim started coaching me, he was like, I don't think you eat enough and your your races, like you're always having this in long sessions and in, in races, that this fade off at the end. Um, and honestly, looking at your training, I don't think it's to do with your fitness. I, I really believe it's your nutrition. And um, yeah, it was always that ongoing battle of, yeah, I think I'm eating enough. I think I'm eating the right things. And Again, if we can have it in data, then um, there's something that we can really see, am I eating the right things and am I eating enough? Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's been pretty a massive change um, just because I didn't realize actually, I, I think I kind of, I eat a lot. So I, I assumed that I would be fine and I'd, I'd have no trouble. Um, but I think the timing of when I was eating has really, really changed because, and, and also the amount that I have and the way that I take it in a race. Um, and for example, I would have breakfast, I'd do a hard session, a swim session, I'd come back, have a coffee, have a snack, and then I'd head out on the bike. But maybe there was 45 minutes between having a snack and heading out, out on the bike or even half an hour. And without realizing it, I was in a big kind of dip um, and I had the glucose number on my bike computer and I'm thinking, sure, that's, that's super low. Um, so I just drink a little bit of my carb drink and then I'd see the numbers go up and without realizing I hadn't been feeling great kind of heading out on the bike, I suddenly feel like, yeah, I've got way more energy now. Um, and, but I hadn't realized that I hadn't got energy until you give your body more energy. And then I was like, okay, this, this makes a big difference. So Things like that, I think the real-time feedback has been huge. Um, and then also the, the racing feedback. Um, just things like when I was eating in a race, um, so I did a five-hour gravel race, um, 100 miler. And when I was eating chews, I could see on my Wahoo, like there wasn't a massive change. When I was taking my carb drink, like it would really go up. Um, so... Yeah, that kind of made me think, okay, I'm responding a lot better to liquids, started using more liquids in my 70.3s. And again, I, I just feel better off it. That's really cool insight that testing, you know, methods of delivery and different products versus each other is something I'm very passionate about and, and super keen advocating for, for other users. So, so that's awesome. Now, we've seen that Jared, your husband, is also a Super Sapiens user. Which one of you two has got more 100s? Oh, 
Yeah, so <clears throat> again, another reason why I'm really working on it because we're a very competitive household. And at the moment, <laughs> I don't know how, hey? I don't know how he's doing it because I'm sure when I'm not around, he forgets to eat. Um, but uh, yeah, his numbers are pretty high. I think he's taking kind of secret snacks when I'm not looking. So uh, uh, he's definitely got more at the moment, but we're turning it around. And so all those cappuccinos he's grabbing at Seattle coffee stuff. Yeah. Um, we could chat to you all day. This is fascinating, but we're running out of time here. So maybe we'll get to the most important part of the interview, which is the rush round, the all important rush round. Let's start with the first one. Do you have any nicknames? Um, I think Emo. Um Jared calls me poopy, but I don't know why. I think it just because it annoys me. So <laughs> <laughs> what husbands are for. Um, do you scan over or do you scan under? Um, oh, I scan. I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but um, I have trouble with it on my arm just because I've got a really funky swim stroke. So I wear it on my back and I scan behind. With the, with yes. the same arm or the opposite arm? Uh, same arm. Same arm. We're going to call that over because yeah, over's, yeah. The, over's the right answer. Yeah, so yeah. Over. With that. And yeah. on the on the cappuccino, and uh, how do you take your coffee? Um, with oat milk cappuccino. Okay, very good. And what's your highest what? glucose score? Um, eighty-two. Very good. Very impressive. And in the lowest, uh, ten. <laughs> It's all right. Equ equally impressive for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Similar to Zion's lowest, I think. Uh, what's your favorite meal before uh, training or racing? Um, I'm actually trialing something at the moment. Um, white rice with a little bit of oat milk and some fructose on top. Seems to oh, be cool. working well. But it used to be white bread and jam. That's definitely kind of tried and tested. But this is a new one that I'm seeing good results with. Very cool. I like that. I like that a lot. And what about post-race? What do you go for? Oh, um, we normally go for a pizza, actually. I don't think you're alone there. That's a pretty common answer. <laughs> and loads of Sprite. Do you, um, like you're a professional, do you guys think of meals in the race? If you're in the last 5K of a race, do you think of what you're going to eat afterwards if, if you've got the race in the bag, let's say? Oh, I don't. Hey, I always like it's always drinks. Like I think because I get really hot and I'm a massive sweater. I'm always craving like actually sometimes salted crackers. But normally I'm like, I just want that cold, like ice, like Sprite or, or something. Yeah, something cold and refreshing. Um, what's the most positive behavior change you've made since you started using Subsapiens? Um, I would say probably having less sugar in the evening um, and wow. also just not having, uh, yeah, I guess, I think it's more timing thing. So wow. yeah, not necessarily taking things out, but just not having them at different times of day. Why would you not have it in the evening? Um, so for example, if I had like a nice mango sorbet treat after dessert, um, I just found that I got that 
big spike, nice, nice, then went to bed. And then I just had that such a massive drop um, and it would kind of carry into the morning. So um, yeah, I just read articles about how that recovery kind of at night, you want it that to be nice and level and, and keep up still. Um, and that was the thing that was kind of plummeting it down. And so you mentioned shifting it. Where's that? Where's that mango sorbet live now? Um, <laughs> normally after my third session of the day. Awesome. So Pre-dinner snack. I like that. It helps you. It helps cool you down as well because it cools you from the inside. And a nice treat to think about in your last five minutes of the sesh. Yeah, as you're about to fall off the back of the treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, last rush round question before we let you go. Do you have a sensor day? What day is sensor day for you? Do I have a what? Sorry? A sensor day. Um, I actually don't. Just whenever kind of it, um, yeah, it normally takes me a couple of kind of hours to figure out that it's gone. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have to wait for Jared to, to put it on for me. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. Teamwork makes a dream work. Yeah. Yeah. Emma, thank you so much for your time. I wish we could have you for longer. You've got to go off to an all-important uh, launch of a bike race in Johannesburg, which I absolutely love. I, I love that you're in South Africa. I'm a South African. I live in South Africa, and we've adopted you, and I absolutely love that. Love that you've chosen to live there. So cool, man. I love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for having me. Really nice to talk to you guys. Yeah, thanks so much. We uh, really appreciate your time. Awesome. Cheers. Emma Pallant Brown really enjoyed talking to her there. Um, David, one thing she you could sort of take away from that interview is how focused she is, and it just looks like she's a professional and she wants to be the best she can be. Yeah, I really like how she she just wants to be the best, right? She wants to race the best, be on the top step, you know, not moving up distances till I'm on the top step. I really like that mentality, but at the same time. Obviously, you know, a very uh, nice person who enjoys her com competitor's company as well, which is a really hard balance to strike. And it's cool to hear that that's being struck in any sport, let alone at the top level of um, something like triathlon, which, as she said, has just had a fair injection of money. And so, you know, most people would assume that when you inject money, that stuff disappears. But uh, it's cool to hear that, you know, as a sport, uh, triathlons move that way. But also it's cool to hear her with that killer mentality, but then also happy to, you know, happy to support her colleagues and, and rivals. I like that about the sport. Um, as one, I think I heard Sam Long saying recently that you train so much, you don't have time to socialize. So the people you socialize with are your competitors because that's who you see at the races all the time. And it's something that struck me in rugby. Um, you know, I was reading it in, in South African Springbok Rugby, Captain Sia Kulisi's book about you know, how you almost try to kill each other, your your opponents on the field, but afterwards they have a beer in the changing room, even though they had disagreements on the field. And that's, a, I, I like that about professional sports, actually. I think they say uh, football is the gentleman's game played by thugs and rugby is the thugs game played by gentlemen. So, uh, you know, take what you want from that. <laughs> um, no no I also, bias at all on this podcast. No, no bias no. at all towards rugby. <laughs> Um, I also asked Emma about her easy days and she had a really good tip about, you know, how you should focus on your form as such. Yeah, there was two things I took from that, actually. The, you know, her speaking about the easy days and focusing on form speaks to the fact that 
there's this thought that easy days are junk miles or are a waste of time or whatever, or just to add volume. And it's not the case. There's a, there should be a goal to every training session. Every training session has a goal and you should understand what that goal is. And uh, she talked about brain training. She talked about what's effectively a skill component of running, which is how do I run or how do I cycle? Those are skills, right? We think that because we can run, it's you can't get better, but it's a skill like anything else. Um, so there's a really cool uh, article that was released a little while ago. I actually sent it to you last night uh, by Killian Journey about his training in the last year, prepping for you know two of the world's best ultra marathons, where you know he won them both and set records, as well as some of the shorter races he did, where he won one of them as well. And one of the things he talks about is really understanding the goal of each training session. And you know he writes his own training sessions and does all that. But I think as an athlete, understanding that's really important because it will keep you disciplined. It's going to stop you going that bit harder for Strava, or it's going to stop you, you know not understanding what you're doing. So, you know, she understands that on hard days, she has to go for it. She has to really, you know, drop the hammer. And she's doing sometimes two hard sessions a day. That would actually kill me. That's very tough to do two hard sessions in a day. It's not uncommon for people to do two or three sessions a day, but to do two hard ones in a day. I mean, it's actually part of the Norwegian training uh, sort of scheme they use, or, or, you know, some of this popularized training with the Norwegians at the moment is to do a double, double session, which is quite hard, but still that's it's not that common and it's very difficult so um you know she really understands that if she doesn't do that she doesn't uh take those easy days easy enough then those hard days are going to be unachievable which is what we call that polarized training which is you know really really trying to keep hard days nice and hard and easy days nice and easy and trying to train at those two ends not necessarily as much in the middle um but you know yeah yeah, I call it the, the Strava average pace syndrome and I suffer from that as well. You know, on your easy days, you still, or on your interval days, you still run the easy sessions, the recovery sessions during your intervals harder because you want your overall average pace to look impressive when you get home, but you're actually losing, you're not gaining anything from it. Um, she also spoke about, you know, how Super Savings has helped us shifting the time of day of what she eats and also her intake during exercise and trialing different things and seeing what, what her body responds to. Yeah, absolutely love that. And it, it harks back to some of the stuff that Bobby Ulich talked about, right? It's not no, it's no. So it's not, you know, it's not don't eat the mango sorbet, it's know what it does and understand where to move it to if you want to. So uh, I love that moving of, it, of training, the focus on recovery, the fact that she's still keen to fuel, you know, that mango sorbet, it's gonna help its carbohydrates, it's cooling, it's all those things, but it's about where can you put it to have the best effect. Uh, it's also not about deprivation. I really like that. And look, the testing of chews versus liquids, I spoke about it during the podcast. I love that mentality. It's the sort of stuff I do. So uh, we got an email through the week from Matthew Marcotte about uh, how he was testing gels first thing in the morning to see the different responses as well, which I loved. So, uh, you know, uh, if there's one thing you should be uh, definitely doing, it's testing different things, uh, see how it works for you. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be first thing in the morning, but uh, give it a go and, and really see what, what's the best for you. That's the beauty of having visibility in continuous glucose monitoring. Absolutely love it. That's another episode. That was Emma Pallant-Brown. She's currently in a big block of training in South Africa. When we spoke to her focused on Ironman 70.3 World Champs, she was second last year, got the silver medal. I would keep my eye on her this year. Really looking forward 
to seeing how she goes after the incredible season she has had. Um, let us know who you would like us to get on the podcast. You would not believe the power that David and I wield in endurance sports. So just send us names and we will get them on with the click of a finger. <laughs> I, I wish you could. I, I appreciate the David and I. It's really just Simon who, who knows these people. They get this email from David uh, and Super Sapiens. And like, we, we've heard this guy's emails all over the internet. What's going on? Um, but we've received, we've started receiving a steady stream of emails from you in terms of what you'd like us to cover, questions you have, and we absolutely love it. So please email us, david at supersapiens.com. If you're on Discord, also join the Super Sapiens Discord channel. And please share this episode with a friend, share it with someone who would like to hear from you and hear from us and help us grow so that we continue doing this for longer. David, thank you so much. Great episode again. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day.